have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 3 through 15. 13 through 15, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Please stand with me as we read the Word of God together. From Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, I'm reading from the ESV. Hear the Word of God. From Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called, brothers and sisters, to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love you serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray together and ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are very much aware this morning that Jesus Christ paid it all, and all to Him we owe. We are very much aware this morning that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. We feel that this morning. And we pray if we don't feel that, you would move us to feel it. That the truth of your love would grab our affections and move us to exalt you and to love each other. But Father, we recognize that we often fail to love. Love is hard. It's easy to talk about, to write about to sing about, but it's hard to practice. So Father, we pray this morning, by the power of your sovereign spirit, would you come down in this place, and would you breathe life into our bones, and move us to love one another with Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered love. Father, I pray that you would please help me to give your people this word. They don't need entertainment right now. They need a word from you, so protect me from doing or saying anything to make Jesus Christ look silly. And may we all feel the weight of what this text is calling us to do. And may your spirit help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love is a very powerful word, isn't it? a very powerful word. It's even more powerful when you see love in action. In fact, I would argue that the New Testament defines love as that, as a sacrificial 
action. Yes, love does have emotional elements to it, right? By the way, remember, this morning, if I ask you a question, I do want an answer, all right? Can you help the preacher out this morning? When I say that I love my wife, there are times, for example, when I'm emotionally moved by that love. When I talk about how much I love my son, there are times when I talk about my son that I'm moved in my affections by the fact that I love him. But love is not fundamentally an emotion in the New Testament. It is a sacrificial action. For example, I already said it and I'll say it again. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Did you you hear it? God loves the the world. How does He love the world? He gave sacrificially. Another example, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, God demonstrates his love for us like this, and oh, what of this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you read on in Romans 5, 9, 10, and 11, Paul explains what that death entailed. That Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. That in Jesus Christ, our sins were put to death so that we would be justified by faith, reconciled to God, and saved from His future wrath. That is love, folks! Sacrificial action. You're not convinced. Let me give you another example. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here it is, who loved me. And what did he do? He gave himself for me. I'll give you one more. Listen up, husbands. Ephesians 5. Oh my goodness. Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave the church some candy, right? We should give them candy, brothers. But that ain't what Christ did for the church. He gave the church his life. Husbands, we are called to love our wives like that, aren't we? Sacrificially. So I'll say it again. The New Testament defines love as a sacrificial action. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. These verses are about love. Here's the main point of the sermon. Brothers and sisters, love one another. There are three truths I want us to think about from this text. You still with me? Still with me? 
Now, I'm a teacher preacher, okay? So I'm going to teach a little bit, all right? Number one, Christ freed us from slavery to the law to make us slaves of love toward one another. Second truth we'll see. When we love one another as the body of Christ, we fulfill the entire law. The whole thing we fulfill by love. And then thirdly, if we don't love one another, we will hurt the body of Christ. Let's say a word about the context of Galatians before we dive into the first point. Question for you. Why did Paul write the letter to the Galatians? He wrote the letter to the Galatians to talk about the gospel. Galatians is about the gospel. These Gentile Christians, these non-Jewish Christians in Galatia, they heard Paul preach the gospel and they responded to it in faith. And then Paul left because he was a missionary. And when he left, false teachers, Jewish teachers, entered into the churches And they told the Galatians that if they wanted to be part of the people of God, if they wanted to go to heaven when they died, they had to keep the Jewish law, get circumcised, eat some foods that the Jewish law prescribes, and live in obedience to the law of Moses. And if they do that, these Jewish teachers said, then you'll be saved as Gentiles. In other words, Jesus is not enough. But you need Moses to be saved if you're a Gentile. And Paul wrote Galatians to say, no, you're justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. The law, Gentile Christians, is a dead end. It does not lead to life. It only leads to death. And it only leads to a curse. But Jesus and the Spirit, they lead to life. They lead to love. Here's the problem. When you come to the end of Galatians, the Galatians have heard Paul talk all this stuff about how the law doesn't help them. And they might think, therefore, we can live any way we want. Love Jesus and sin freely. And Paul says, no. Freedom from the law is not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom to love. That takes me to my first point. Christ freed us from bondage to the law of Moses to be slaves of one another in love. Look at verse 13. Galatians chapter 5. For you were called brothers and sisters for freedom. Let's stop right there. Let's unpack that. First word. He says you were called is a very important word for Paul. This calling is effectual for Paul. He means Galatians. A reason why you should not use your freedom from the law of Moses as a means by which you live a life of sin to gratify the flesh is because God effectually called you. In other words, He converted you. This is why In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said he was shocked. I'm shocked that you are turning from the one who called you 
by the grace of Christ to another gospel. Here's why he's shocked. He's shocked that the Galatians would walk away from Jesus when in fact God converted them to obey Jesus. Does that make sense? So he says to us in verse 13 of chapter 5, God didn't call you, convert you to freedom to live a life of gratifying your sinful flesh. Notice verse 13. Why did he call you? He called you, verse 13, to be free. Free from what? Free from the law. And free from the power of sin. Hear this. We all, until we die, are going to die as Christians fighting with sin and struggling with it. There are sins that I fight on a regular basis that I'm going to die struggling with. This might surprise you. I have anger issues. And the older I get, the more annoyed I find myself becoming about certain things. So the Spirit says what? The Spirit says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The flesh says hate, anger, jealousy, covetousness, divisiveness, and so on and so forth. When my flesh says, Jarvis, you're justified by faith, so you can drop F-bombs on people when you want to. The Spirit says, no, you can't. We were called to be free. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, let me connect that with verse 13. It's very important you realize this. Notice verse 13 begins with the word for. You see that in verse 13? If you're reading the ESV, it should say for or because or something that shows you he's giving you a reason for the command he's going to give you in verses 13 and 14. He has just spent his time in chapter 4, verse 21, to verse 31, making this argument. The Mosaic law, the law of Moses, and by which, by the way, I don't mean just the Ten Commandments. I mean the entire Mosaic covenant. Just think of it this way. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the whole thing. He's made the argument that everyone without faith in Jesus Christ is under the curse of the law. The law doesn't lead you or me to be sons and daughters of God. It leads us to judgment. That's what he's argued. And he's made the argument that we Gentiles, and we should feel that, by the way, the Gentiles aren't those people. We are those people. Red or yellow, black and white, we're all Gentiles in God's sight. You need to feel that. Unless you are a Jew this morning. You are a Gentile. And he's made the argument that Gentiles and Jews, by the way, cannot be saved from God's wrath or from the power of sin via obedience to the law. 
The law leads to slavery and bondage. But Jesus leads to freedom. Therefore, 5.13, this freedom leads not, look at verse 13 again, it leads not, verse 13, to an opportunity to gratify your flesh. Let's talk about flesh. Still with me? All right. John said I had two hours this morning. Just, just joking. Just joking. I'm watching the clock. Flesh. So important for Paul. The word flesh in Galatians may mean on occasion your bodily existence. I'll give an example from John chapter 1 to illustrate that point. John 1 verse 14 says, the word, referring to Jesus Christ, became what? Flesh. That doesn't mean Jesus became a sinner. It means he became a man. His bodily existence was 100% humanity and 100% divinity. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about the life he lives in the flesh. And what he means is the same thing John means. He lives in a bodily existence. But hear this, that's not what he means in chapter 5 verse 13. Flesh in 5.13 represents a power. It represents the present evil age. Understand this, there are two ages in which we live. You either live in the age of the flesh or the age of the spirit. You understand that? Let me say it this way. Nobody is entirely free from something. Someone is either a slave to the flesh or a slave to the spirit. In Paul's understanding of theology. And when Paul says here that we ought not to use freedom from the law to gratify the flesh, he means we ought not to use freedom from the law to gratify our sinful desires, which are part of the old age. The Spirit represents the new age. And the Spirit's presence in your heart makes you, makes me, sons and daughters of the new age. As we live in the present evil age. Does that make sense? Let me give you some examples. I'll give you some practical application in a second, okay? Chapter 5, look at verse 16. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, there it is, and do not gratify the desires of what? What does it say? Flesh. Don't gratify the desires that are part of the present evil age. Galatians 1 verse 4, Jesus died to deliver us from the present evil age. Therefore, how in the world can we be free from the law and have the Spirit and live in compliance with the present evil age? Therefore, he says, don't live your lives as free people to enslave yourselves to sin. Question, Paul, what should we do? If you haven't written us to say, live freely to gratify sinful desires, how should we use our freedom? Think of it this way how should we use our privilege? 
not to gratify our desires that are fleshly, not to gratify our itch for sexual appetites that God has not ordained for us. Are you with me? Not to use our freedom to gratify divisiveness over sinful ideas that are not rooted in the gospel. Does that make sense? We should use our freedom, verse 13, to love. Look at that. Use your freedom through love to serve one another. Here's a question for you. How do we do that? Here's some practical applications of how to love one another. How to love one another as the body of Christ. Chapter 5, Paul says, here's some ways you can love one another. Look at verse 20. I'm going to pick, just select, selectively pick a few. Verse 20, don't practice enmity. You see that there in verse 20 of chapter 5? You see it? Y'all still with me? Don't practice strife. Now hear this carefully. He is not saying, let's just hold hands and all just get along over things worth dividing over. There are some things worth dividing over. For example, false doctrine, right? Racism. He's not saying that we should let injustice flourish for the sake of unity. That's not what he's saying. That's not love. What he is saying to these Christians is you ought not to be contentious with each other when those enmities are not rooted in the gospel. You follow me? Truth unites and truth divides. We're not going to get along with everybody in the body, but we're called to love one another in the body, right? So I'm convinced that the University of Kentucky Wildcats basketball team is the greatest basketball team ever. But some of you all might not believe that, but you should still love me, right? We shouldn't blow up unity over that, even though I'm right. We shouldn't blow up unity over that, right? Avoid strife. Further, he says, avoid divisions. Envy. Here's one. Drunkenness. Notice the emphasis. Drunkenness. I don't know a lot of drunk people who pursue unity. In the moment of being drunk. At least not in Kentucky, where I'm from. Here's another way you can love one another. You can love one another by not using one another to satisfy sexual desires. I mean, Paul says it more strongly than that, doesn't he? He says, don't practice orgies. What? You've got to remember this about this letter. He wrote this letter to Gentiles. They weren't Jews. Gentile worship had embedded within it sexual promiscuity. If you were a Gentile in certain parts of the ancient world, you show up at the temple, and guess who's there waiting for you? Temple prostitutes. 
and sexual intercourse was part of false worship in Gentile religion. This is one reason why Paul has to tell these Gentiles not to live like Gentiles anymore. Do you notice? He doesn't tell Jews often, he doesn't say, stop being a pagan or stop practicing idolatry or live sexually moral. Jews knew what the law said. Gentiles did not know what the law said. You follow me? And he's telling us that one way we love one another is we don't treat each other as objects to be mastered in the body, sexually. Husbands love your own wives. Wives love your own husbands. And if you're not married, you can't touch that forbidden tree yet, right? Right? Doesn't matter what the culture says. The way you love one another, further, he says, verse 22, be patient with each other. Be kind to one another. And I've been around a lot of mean Christians. Nasty Christians. And I love the church. And the people of God, we have warts, don't we? We all do. I have issues. We all have issues. But sometimes it baffles me that I'm respected more <laughs> by unbelievers sometimes than by Christians. Ought not to be. But be kind to one another. One way we are kind to each other is we pray for one another, right? We use our words to build up, not to tear down, right? The tongue is like a fire, isn't it? We lift up with our words. What about you? But sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. There's certain things, I'm calm most of the time. I promise you I am. Not when I teach or preach, no, but when I'm just sitting around hanging out, I'm pretty chill. But there are certain things that set me off just like that. And before I know it, I've, I've lashed out with 15 words that have just destroyed someone. And I haven't even caught myself to ask, is what I'm about to say going to edify this person? Well, one way we love is to use our tongues to speak kind words to each other. Let me speed this along and give you some other examples. Chapter 6, verse 1. Here's how you love. You help those who fall into sin get out of it, right? When someone falls into a transgression in the body, what is our posture? Is this our posture? I told you so. Do we rejoice because we did not fall into that transgression? Or do we weep with those who weep and work with wisdom to restore the fallen sister or brother who has fallen into a transgression? We need each other, don't we? I need my church in Louisville to help me persevere until the end. I need people in my life when they see arrogance and pride, and selfishness to speak into that and to help me out of it. Do you love one another like that? Of course, Paul tells us, got to guard our own hearts, chapter 6, 
to make sure we're not also tempted to fall into that same transgression, right? And we also need to pull the log out of our own eye before we point out other people's specks. But the point I'm making is, it is a loving thing for you to help your brother or sister who falls into sin get out of it. Now, of course, if they don't repent, then something has to happen corporately, right? The body has to act. And the act of church discipline is an act of love. But I'm talking about what happens before that act of excommunication. What happens before that is the pursuit of restoration. My church in Louisville, I'm not the pastor, I'm just a member. We had a situation where there was a sister who left her husband and was involved in an adulterous relationship. They ended up getting a divorce. Make a long story short, people from our body pursued that sister. That sister moved in with that family. She repented years later. She came back before the church, apologized to her husband. Her husband participated in the restoration service at the church with her husband's new wife. She gave some forgiveness too. And in that whole experience, we allowed her, because she repented after being restored, to sign the church covenant again, publicly, right? She was excommunicated, but then she repented and she came back after being restored and fundamentally after being pursued by the body. If we don't love each other, this might be an overstatement, if we don't love each other as Christians, no one else will. Dare trust in the government to love us the way Jesus wants us to love one another, right? We go after each other. It's another way we love one another. We love those, chapter 6, verse 6, who teach us the word. Ministry is hard. I've gotten those letters from people in churches where I've served who've complained about the sermon. I didn't like what you said in the sermon. And this is what I thought. Threw it away. I didn't say this, but I thought, well, why didn't you come to my face and open up your Bible and talk with me about the text? Why didn't you do that? I didn't say that. Here's my point. My point is, you show love to your pastors when you encourage them in the Lord. A word of encouragement means a lot in the ministry. Now, of course, pastors don't do it for encouragement, but we need encouragement. We need the body to show us that they love us and appreciate us. Do you you show love to your pastors and your teachers and your leaders? The most fundamental way you do that is praying for them. Do you pray for them? Oh, please pray for your pastors. Well, that's my first point. Still with me? All right. First point is, we're free to love. We're not free to sin, though we fight with sin. We're free to love. Second point, when we love one another, we fulfill the entire law. Let me say to you, this is a hard verse. So I'm going to ask you all to buckle in and hang with me. Let's try to think about this verse together. Look at verse 14. Paul gives us a reason in verse 14 why we should 
love one another. Verse 14, because the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To which I say, what? How can you say that? Here's a question. What law do we fulfill when we love? The law of Moses or the law of Christ? And if Paul were in the room, I think he would say, Jarvis, yes. Notice, verse 14, when Paul cites Leviticus 19, verse 18, he's citing that verse from a passage which talks about what it means to love your neighbor and who your neighbor is. Your neighbor, you notice that text that we read earlier from Leviticus, is the foreigner, (laughs) the immigrant, let me contextualize, the one who doesn't speak English in America. Your neighbor is everybody, red or yellow, black or white, rich or poor, naturalized or not. Educated or uneducated. Your neighbor's everybody. And in that context in Leviticus 19, that chapter emphasizes the reason why we love our neighbor is because God is holy. And loving your neighbor reflects the character of your God. But that one verse from Leviticus 19-18 is a verse that is part of the larger Mosaic law. And Paul says, when you love, you fulfill all of it. A couple of clarifications here. Notice that Paul does not say in chapter 5, verse 14, when you love, you do the law. Notice that? Still with me? I'm almost going to land this plan. Are you still with me? He doesn't say you keep the law. Your love for one another does not mean you are keeping the whole law. He says rather you fulfill the law. Let me remind you of something. He's already said in chapters 2 and 3, the law does not lead to life. It only leads to a curse. And he has said in chapter 2 verse 16, No one is justified by works of the law. In other words, he's spoken negatively about the law. The law only leads to death. Now, Romans 7, he says the law is perfect and holy and good. Yes and amen. But in Galatians, that's not his argument. He's trying to deter the Galatians from walking away from Jesus. It makes no sense, therefore, to talk about how good the law is in Galatians, right? When, in fact, the Galatians are saying, yeah, That's why we want to embrace the law. His argument is the law does not give you what you want. So then what do you mean, Paul? We fulfill the law by loving. This is what I think he means, quickly. We fulfill the law by loving one another as Christians. Because the law, its entire intent, can be summarized By loving God and loving neighbor. You understand that? If you reduce the law down to its very basics, 
You have portions of the law of Moses that talk about loving God. You have other portions that talk about loving neighbor. So Jesus says, when you love one another, what what are you doing? You're loving God and your neighbor in Christ. So only Christians can do this. Jesus Christ, when he was born, was born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. And the redemption of those under the law brought to those whom Jesus redeemed the Spirit. We get the Spirit as Christians by faith because Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Galatians 4, 5 and 6. So this love is an in Christ, Spirit-empowered, law-fulfilling love. That we can only do because Jesus has done it for us. You understand that? This is not a bootstrap religion love. Where you try really hard to love people. This is a spirit empowered God breathed died on a cross resurrecting love. That the spirit empowers you to do. In fact he gives you this love as a gift. And when you live out that gift. By loving each other, you're fulfilling what the law intended, which was love. And that reality couldn't be realized until Jesus took hold of the law and internalized it by writing the Spirit on our hearts. I'll give you one example. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Thank you. Notice this. You have love in you because you have the Spirit in you. And you have love in front of you because you have a Savior looking at you with blood on His face, hanging from the cross, resurrecting on Sunday morning. So He's not asking you to go find some love somewhere. He's asking you to live out the reality of what God has done for you in King Jesus. Oh yes, you got to pursue it. You don't just let go and let God. I hate that statement. You hold on to Jesus because he's holding on to you. And he's moving you to love because he's created love within you by the Spirit. So guess what? Christians don't need to be slaves to hate. And let me tell you something. There are some people I want to hate. I just feel like I can be real with y'all. If God gave me some people that I could hate, give me a hate people free card, I got some names. And just recently even, something happened to me where there was an example where a person slandered, which often happens, by the way, when you do anti-racist work. And everything inside of me, I was spitting mad for three days. And I just prayed this on Sunday morning. I said, Jesus, help me to love X. I don't love him right now. I'm hating him right now. Help me to love X. And guess what Jesus did? He moved X to repent and to say I'm sorry. And he moved me to say, I forgive you. Only the Spirit can do that, right? You can't go find love somewhere. It's within you, in the Spirit, but you live out of what God has done for you in Jesus, and you go after it. So, this is why Paul can say in Galatians chapter 6, 
verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So guess what you're doing when you love one another? When you love that brother or sister who, quite frankly, gets on your nerves? When you love, even though it's difficult, you are fulfilling God's law. Why? Because you're doing individual elements of the law to earn your salvation? No. But because you are in Christ, living out what God has done for you by the power of the Spirit, and the law's intent is the intent of love, and you do that in Jesus. Yes, atheists love, but not like this. Their love takes them to hell. You know that? And in Christ Jesus, Spirit-empowered love takes you to the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, verse 21. If you walk in the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you walk in the Spirit, Paul says, you will. Just say it this way. If you love one another, you will inherit the kingdom of God. Because all Christians inherit the kingdom and they pursue love. Imperfectly. They pursue it. So let me give you one final point, and I'll close with some application. Thirdly, third truth. If you do not love one another, brothers and sisters, you will hurt the body of Christ. Now, I wanted to say destroy the body of Christ, but that might be misleading because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. One church dies, other churches pop up, right? But you can, if you don't love one another, you can hurt the body. Yes, God is sovereign. Amen. He predestines all things in accordance with the counsel of His will. But He uses means by which to do that. And one means is your love for each other. He doesn't need your love, but He uses it. Look at verse 15. After he says, if you love one another in, the, in Christ, here's the opposite of that, verse 15. But, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is strong language. Devoured by one another. Well, my son, he likes to annoy me sometimes. He'll eat some cookies or something, he'll go crunch, 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 and just devour those cookies really, really fast, and all the crumbs will fly everywhere. That's sort of the imagery here. If you bite one another, devour one another, you're going to swallow up the body. He says something similar in chapter 5, verse 25. Notice he says, we'll back up to verse 24 first. It says, those who belong to Christ, 524, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, but if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Question, why not? Why can't we treat people with hate in the body? Why must we love? Because love is the only fruit that builds up. Right? 
And by the way, every other fruit in Galatians chapter 5 is love. It's just not called love. You follow what I'm saying? Patience is about love. Self-control is about love. Hate destroys the body. Here's the question. Do you gossip on one another? Do you backbite, backbite one another? Are you envious of what gifts one another has versus the gifts that you don't have? Do you look for ways to manipulate things in order to exalt self or to exalt Christ? Well, Paul would say, if you do those things, exalt self instead of Christ, that's not love. So in closing, brothers and sisters, I'm going to close with this thought. Here's a basic way you can love one another. Plead before God regularly for each other. That God would help you by the Spirit to love one another. And I would even encourage you to be very specific. You know your body better than I know your body. If you know where there there are some areas in the body where love is lacking, say, Jesus! Give us love in this area and commit yourself regularly to ask God to do it and watch Him do it. Watch Him do it! So sisters and brothers, Christ has freed us to love one another. You're not enslaved to sin anymore. You're not subjugated to sin anymore. Yes, you fight. But sin is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And the Spirit is your down payment that guarantees your inheritance. So in the power of the Spirit of King Jesus, y'all love one another. Amen. Father, we pray that you would do this in us. And we thank you that you've already acted in us through Christ. And that we have your spirit and you don't leave us as orphans in this world that's filled with hate. But that you give us your spirit. And Father, it is so hard to love one another. It's hard enough to love those outside of the body of Christ, but it's also hard to love those within the body of Christ. So, Father, we pray that we would get our house in order and love each other well so that we can show the world that we know you. That when we stand for justice and anti-racism, when we stand for the immigrant and the marginalized, that the world can look at what we say and say, yep, those people love each other. Let me listen to what they have to say. God, help us to do that. And Father, we also pray where love is lacking today, please give it. And for those who don't know Jesus this morning, perhaps, would you open up their eyes to the truth that God's love moved to deal with sin. And that by faith in Jesus, those who are not saved today can turn from their sins and be saved right now. So God, work in them.
the experience of your love for the first time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.